0: chapter nineteen of three people by pansy This LibriVox recording is in the public domain chapter nineteen the three people meet again it is not to be supposed because nothing has been said of intervening days that the events recorded in the last two chapters followed each other in quick succession in reality when theodore mallory bought his first suit of ready-made clothing he had been but a very short time in his new place of business but when the perilous railroad carriage drive was taken with the hastings carriage he had been mr stevens's confidential clerk for three years and was as much trusted and as promptly obeyed as was mr stevens himself he allowed a reasonable length of time to elapse after that momentous drive and then one evening availed himself of dora hastings's cordial invitation to call this was an attempt which he had never made before although he had gone somewhat into society since that memorable first evening at his pastor's house yet the society in which he had grown most familiar namely that connected with his beloved church and sabbath school was not the society in which miss hastings more generally mingled this and her frequent and prolonged absences from the city combined perhaps with other and minor causes were the reasons why they had not again met socially and beyond an occasional bow as they passed each other in the church aisle they had been as strangers to each other this until the dangerous ride taken together then as i said after a little theodore rang at the hastings mansion had a peep of Dora sitting at the window, a peep of Mr. Hastings composedly pacing the length of the room, and after waiting what seemed to him an unreasonably long time for answer to his card, was courteously informed that the family were not at home. This was the great man's gratitude for the preservation of his daughter's life. He was grateful, was willing to make the young man his coachman and to pay him in money but he was not willing to receive him in his parlour on an equal social footing for who knew better than he from what depths of poverty and degradation the young upstart had sprung theodore did not look very grave he even laughed as he turned and ran lightly down the granite steps and he was pleased but not surprised when a few days thereafter he met dora on the square and she stopped and frankly and distinctly disclaimed any complicity in her father's uncourteous act or sympathy with his feelings and there once more the matter dropped on this evening four weeks after the call theodore was walking rather rapidly toward his home he had been spending the evening with jim mcpherson the old stand had been enlarged and beautified until now it was a very marvel of taste and elegance jim had evidently found his level or his height theodore still retained his interest in the business and guided it skillfully by a word of advice now and then this evening of which i speak had been an eventful one after a running commentary on the business in general and the business of that day in particular the talk had turned into another channel and went on after this fashion do you know you are a kind of a standing marvel to me theodore questioned no answered jim laughing hadn't an idea of such a thing i know that you had been a walking marvel to me ever since i first laid eyes on you at the euclid house but i thought i was a commonplace kind of an individual who astonished nobody enlighten me why said theodore you're such a square out-and-out honorable business man as particular to be honest in trifles as in greater sums as careful to render just exactly every man his due as it is possible to be and that surprises you does it much obliged and jim spoke in a laughing tone but with a bright flush on his face no the marvel doesn't come in there his companion had returned with gravity, but in the fact that no one so particular with his fellow man should ignore or forget the obligations under which he is bound to render account for every day's work in the sight of God. How do you know that I do forget? Because I know you to be so honest and honorable, that if you gave this matter thought and weight, its reasonableness would so press itself upon you that you would not even try to shake it off. How do you know that I do try? My dear friend, said Theodore tenderly, how can I help knowing, when I know so well, the love of Christ for you, his yearning over you, and the fact that your mother's prayers are constantly going up for you, and yet that you still slight such love? but how do you know that last to be a fact? My dear Jim, if you were not, you would be a praying man, a Christian. And I still ask, how do you know that I am not? Is my life so at variance with the principles of the gospel that you cannot doubt it? Theodore turned eager, searching eyes upon his friend's face, and questioned tremulously, Are you a praying man, Jim? I do hope and trust that I am. The reply came in firm, clear tones, with a sort of undertone of solemn triumph in them, and Theodore rose suddenly, and going around to his side, clasped hands with him in token of a new bond of fellowship, and his voice was husky as he said, My dear brother, forgive me for taking for granted that your position on this subject was unchanged, because you did not choose to tell me so but why did you not? Oh, if I could tell you how I have longed and prayed for this. I know it, said Jim, holding the proffered hand in a hearty grasp. I have been wrong in that respect, but I felt so weak, so doubtful at times, so afraid of making blunders, that I thought it best to keep quiet, and if my life could not speak for me, then it would be because there was nothing to speak. But I was at prayer meeting last evening, sat over in the seat by the door i heard what you said and i came to the conclusion that the lord had lighted my candle for me and that i had hidden it away under a bushel as if i were ashamed of it and i have been planning all day how to bring it out from the shadow and have it shine you may imagine that the rest of that evening was blessed to those two young men those of you who by experience know anything about it will understand how theodore believed that he could never hear words more blessed than those which jim spoke to him as they shook hands for good night least of all my dear fellow should i have hid the story from you for from the first to the last you have been the means under god of my finding him and mallory one of the longest strides i ever took toward the straight gate was that evening when you almost made me sign the pledge Oh. We have a new name to our role. Did I tell you? Mr. Ryan. Not the lawyer? Yes, the lawyer. Boards at the Euclid House, you know. Signed at our last meeting. You had something to do with that, hadn't you? He said something to me in that queer way he has about meeting Habakkuk not long ago, and finding that he had added the whole Bible to his bottle argument and so it was that theodore did not go yet after all but sat down again to discuss this new delight and thus it came to pass that he was walking rapidly down town at rather a late hour and overtook two persons who were stumbling and muttering along the now nearly deserted street poor wretches he said to himself poor miserable wretches I wonder whether the rum-hole that sent them out in this condition was gilded and glittering, or was a veritable cellar stripped of its disguise. This is what I used to fear for Jim, the splendid fellow. I never half did him justice. What a boy, though, not to tell his mother! I wonder who the dear old saint will take up for her most special subject now. Jim and Rick both gathered in. It will be Winnie with twofold earnestness now, I presume. Oh, the mansions are filling up, and I thank God that he is letting me help to fill them. But who will I take now? "'Let me alone,' interrupted one of the poor drunkards, giving his companion a vigorous push. "'I can walk without your help, I guess. Pity if I couldn't.' "'Suppose,' continued Theodore to his inner self, "'suppose I should take that poor fellow who is leaning against the post.' God's mercy is great enough for him. I want somebody to bring as a thank offering for Jim and Rick. Yes, and for Mr. Ryan, too. I believe I'll choose him. I'll find out who he is and follow him up, with the Lord's help, until he chooses one of the many mansions for himself. How shall I go to work to discover who he is and where he belongs? I really doubt his knowledge of either subject just at present then the man embracing the post spoke for the first time what you s'pose ails this confounded lamp-post won't stand still whirls round like a windmill or a church steeple or something Believe it's drunk sure as you live something in the manner in the tones thick and foolish and unnatural though they were brought theodore to a full stop before the poor fellow and caused him to look eagerly in the upturned face while the blood surged violently through his veins drunk returned the less intoxicated companion contemptuously you're drunk yourself that's what's the matter you better come on now and let that lamp-post stay where it is i ain't going to drag you both home i reckon meantime theodore laid a firm steady hand on the arm of the drunken man and spoke in a low quiet tone pliny for he had too surely recognized the voice and knew now beyond the shadow of a doubt that the poor wretch in question was pliny hastings and that his drunken companion was the old friend of his boyhood ben phillips so these three whose lives had commenced on the same day of time had crossed each other's paths once more with very little effort he persuaded the poor bewildered fellow to desert his whirling post and a carriage returning empty from the midnight train came at his call and the three were promptly seated therein and the order given by theodore number blank euclid avenue a strange ride it was for him his companions sang and yelled and quarrelled by turns until at last the sleepy stage came upon them and this but for one thing was a relief it had been no part of his plan to be seen by any dweller in the hastings mansion that night but if this man was to be an utterly helpless log how could he help it however he comforted himself with the thought that a servant was probably in waiting and that they could get him quickly and quietly to his room so when the carriage rolled up the avenue and halted before the door he sprang out and once more rang the bell and awaited admittance to hastings hall he had not long to wait he heard the night latch click sharply and a moment thereafter the door swung open and he confronted not a servant but dora looking nearly as white and quite as grave as she had on the day of the ride dora he said in his surprise and alarm why is it you where is your father papa is in his room is it pliny mr mallory yes said theodore gently don't be alarmed miss hastings he is not injured he it is dora interrupted him i understand but too well mr mallory is he unconscious asleep or what asleep answered theodore briefly feeling that words were worse than useless then could you could we possibly get him to his room without the knowledge of any one if we only could we will try the brief reply breathing sympathy and pity in every tone have you a servant whom you can trust dora shook her head in distress there isn't a servant up but john and papa rang for him not five minutes ago never mind then i know the driver he is trustworthy be prepared to show us the way to his room miss hastings swift and silent were their movements the driver one of the wisest of his set seemed to comprehend the situation by instinct and trod the halls and stairs as though his feet had been shod in velvet he was a strong man too AND BETWEEN THEM THEY CARRIED THE SLIGHT EFFEMINATE FORM WITH EASE, AND LAID HIM UPON THE ELEGANT BED IN HIS ELEGANT ROOM, HE STILL SLEEPING THE HEAVY DRUNKEN SLEEP WHICH DORA HAD LEARNED TO KNOW SO WELL. SHE STOOD NOW IN THE HALL WITH COMPRESSED LIPS AND ONE HAND PRESSING THE THROBBING VEINS IN HER FOREHEAD, WAITING WHILE THEODORE TURNED DOWN AND SHADED THE GAS, AND ARRANGED THE SLEEPER'S HEAD IN A MORE COMFORTABLE POSITION ON THE PILLOW he had with a brief low-spoken sentence dismissed his helper the moment they had deposited their burden on the bed presently he came out into the hall and closing the door behind him followed dora lightly and swiftly down the stairs not a word passed between them until he stood with his hand on the night latch then he said can i serve you in any way to-night miss hastings The reply was irrelevant but very earnest. Mr. Mallory, I do not know how to thank you for this night's kindness. There is no need of thanks, he said gently. Take heart of grace, Miss Hastings. God helping us, we will save him yet. I had selected him for my subject of special pleading before I knew who he was. Dora's white lips quivered a little. Then there are two to pray for him she said eagerly yes and if two of you shall agree you know good night he had one more hard task to perform the carriage was waiting and the other drunken son must be conveyed to his father's house a few moments of rapid driving brought them to the modest white house with its green blinds one of them with the slats turned so that the pale tearful watcher at the window could see the carriage and before theodore had time to ring the door was unbolted and this time it was a gray-haired father who received them grim and silent was he but ever and anon as they were passing up the stairs they heard a low heart-rending moan from the poor mother who had left the window and buried her head among the cushions of the sofa theodore knew nothing about the sweet sleeping baby who had nestled so cozily in the great rocking-chair twenty-three years before but the mother did and had lived to understand that had her precious baby benny slept the sleep that knows no waking when in his infancy it would have been infinitely better than the stupor of body and brain that held him now young man said mr phillips as they reached the outer door again i don't know who you are but i am thankful that you have saved us from any further disgrace by bringing him home god grant that this night's work may be a warning to you and that you may never need such disgraceful help for yourself he evidently mistook theodore for one of the boon companions of his son the driver overhearing the remark chuckled softly and remarked to himself that's a good one he's mistook his chap this time i could tell him but theodore bowed in respectful silence and felt a consuming pity for that heavily stricken father as he entered the carriage the driver volunteered some information that man sells rum himself in his grocery over there across the street and he fought against the no license petition like a wild tiger last fall drive me home now please said theodore aloud in answer to this and to himself he said as he sank wearily among the cushions then i pray god to have mercy on him and not make his judgment heavier than he can bear end of chapter 19